This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee, where the COVID crisis shows no signs of slowing down. In fact, it's getting worse. Today, Florida reported 22,783 new COVID-19 cases. It is the highest single-day count since this pandemic has begun. More people are hospitalized than ever before, but the governor's trying to dismiss those numbers by saying it's all part of the cycle. So I think we anticipated, I said publicly, this is our COVID season. We thought we would see an increase. I don't know that we thought we would necessarily see um, this many positive tests. Florida's kids are headed back to school, and the governor is sticking to his guns, saying local school districts cannot require students to wear a mask. Parents have the fundamental right to raise their children, their health and well-being. That has to be respected by the state at all levels of government. Uh, And so it's our belief that, that this should be a parent's choice. The Board of Education has weighed in, too, but not in a good way. They adopted an emergency rule saying students who are shamed for refusing to wear a mask in school are eligible for a scholarship to a private school. This rule specifically allows students who are subjected to COVID-19 harassment to transfer to a private school or another school in the district or another district altogether. That rule was approved unanimously by the governor's puppets who serve on the State Board of Education. We'll also have your daily calendar of political events and the stories of two Florida men. One of them had to call a professional trapper to get rid of a toilet iguana. The other died of COVID after downplaying the epidemic. And now the top stories on Sunrise for Monday, August 9th. This is the Islamic New Year. It's National Women's Day and National Book Lovers Day. On this date in 1945, we dropped a second atomic bomb, codenamed Fat Man, on Nagasaki, Japan. In 1960, there was a race riot in Jacksonville known as Axe Handle Saturday. A group of 200 white men, most of them Klansmen, attacked African Americans engaged in sit-in protests opposing racial segregation. The attack took its name from the axe handles that were used by the attackers. In 1974, Richard Nixon resigned as President of the United States. Gerald Ford was sworn in as his replacement. And in 2017, a giant inflatable chicken resembling Donald Trump was placed outside the White House as a political protest. Well, Florida, let's start with the good news about COVID-19. There is none. All we have is a record number of deaths, a record number of people in the hospital with COVID-19, and a record number of new cases. Agriculture Commissioner Nikki Freed, who is running for governor next year, provided the update when the governor did not. Today, Florida reported 22,783 new COVID-19 cases. It is the highest single-day count since this pandemic has begun. This is a 33% increase from last week. Unfortunately, we lost another 199 individuals from COVID-19 yesterday, one of the highest losses since February. And in a moment, and as of moments ago, there was 13,427 people hospitalized in our state with COVID-19, which unfortunately beat the all-time high record of hospitalizations that we set a day before, which also surpassed one that we set the day before that. In fact, our state makes up almost a quarter of all COVID cases nationwide. This comes as healthcare workers are sounding the alarm about how much more aggressive the Delta variant is and how they're seeing younger and healthier patients get sicker and sicker as a result. According to the American Academy of Pediatrics and the Children's Hospital Association, 
Pediatric cases make up nearly 20% of COVID cases nationwide. And just this week, our state set a record for the most children hospitalized for COVID. A new school year is right around the corner, and parents, teachers, and kids across our state are scared for their own safety and the safety of their loved ones. Unfortunately, we continue to hear misinformation when it comes to the risks of COVID in children, as some reject the advice of our scientists and our medical doctors when it comes to keeping students safe as they return to school. Now, as I, the last four days, have been talking to so many of our parents, our teachers, our administrators, and they're asking for advice. What do we do? And I don't have answers for them because this right now is the only safe opportunity for so many of our kids that are 12 and under. And when you have parents that want to make sure that their kids are safe, but know that there may be kids in their kids' classrooms whose parents aren't vaccinated, and then they're not vaccinated, and then it brings in COVID into the classroom, and the kids come home, become home sick, have parents who then become sick, and they see their grandparents, and we're seeing this cycle over and over again. So I am really, again, encouraging everybody, please go get the vaccines. Go make sure that we are protecting our communities. We are seeing more people go out there. And for those individuals who have decided that is the right decision for themselves and for their families, thank you. But we are not nearly close to being past this. So please make sure that you're masking up, going and getting your vaccine. And for those parents who are putting your kids back into our schools in the next couple of weeks, please bring your kids to school in masks. This is the way that we are going to save our children. This is the way we're going to keep our schools open. Because we know that once there is a, a positive case in a classroom, that classroom may have to be shut down and everybody quarantined. That means those kids are being sent home. And then it's disrupting their parents who may have to stay home from work because not everybody has the luxury to work to telework or to have other family members or individuals who can stay home to watch their kids. So this is something that really is imperative, not only for the health and safety of our children, for our teachers, but for our economy that needs to keep going if we're going to get past this. Freed also has a problem with the governor's efforts to raise money for his upcoming re-election by campaigning against public health and trying to portray himself as a champion of freedom. In this case, the freedom to infect your fellow human beings. You know, as our state is seeing record number cases, record number of hospitalizations, close to record number of deaths, Ron is traveling our country fundraising. When we are in the middle of a crisis, the person who is charged with the responsibility to take care of our state is traveling across our country raising money for his PC. That is unacceptable. This is where you need to be, Governor. You need to be here telling the people of our state what is happening. You need to be transparent, upfront, and honest with the people of our state. You need to be doing your job here in the state of Florida, not gallivanting across our country, fundraising for your political committee. People of our state deserve leaders. In a time of crisis, it is leaders who step up for the call of action. Our school board members, our local elected officials who are making the tough decisions, 
to do what is right for their communities. That is where the power needs to be, is in our local governments, who know what it takes to protect their communities. They did it last year. They helped us get through this pandemic. And I'm calling on our business community to also do what is right. We did it last year. I'm asking you to do it again now. And to the people of our state, mask up, get vaccinated. We are in this together. And together we will get through this pandemic. As for Governor Ron DeSantis, he's still trying to spin this COVID surge as merely a seasonal rise. And he says monoclonal antibodies are available to treat the newly infected. So I think we anticipated, and I said publicly, this is our COVID season. We thought we would see an increase. I don't know that we thought we would necessarily see um, this many positive tests and some of the some of the hospital admissions, just because if you look, we've got... 91% of seniors who are the most likely to be hospitalized have gotten at least one shot. It's pretty much of age 50 and above, it's 80% roughly who are, who are vaccinated. And of course, people have recovered from COVID in those age groups too. So that's even more um, in terms of the immunity. But I think that this Delta variant is more contagious. I think it's aerosolized. I think it's, it's uh, highly transmissible. We saw that in the United Kingdom, saw a really quick ascent. And, uh, you know, it tops off and then and then comes down. So I think that um, it's following similar pattern. It's just going very quickly. And um, but I do think, you know, they, they ha- they're handling it. But, you know, we think t- sending the message about the monoclonals, we obviously work very hard to uh, to to offer the vaccines to seniors first, but then to everyone who wanted it. Uh, but but certainly the, the, the name of the game is you know, if you're infected, we just want you to be OK. And uh, if you do this, the chance of you having one of those 14-day hospital stays in the ICU goes down dramatically. And, and of course, the chance of, of surviving it increases uh, significantly. And so, so that's really the name of the game. And I think, it'll, I think it has made a big difference. But I think if this can now tell people who may not have known about this, you know, maybe they make that phone call two days earlier because they know that this is something you got to take earlier. And I think that that could be very positive. But treating people once they're infected is a bit like locking the barn door after the horses have escaped. It's far better to prevent the disease in the first place with a vaccination. Yet there are holdouts, even in the healthcare community. More than 500,000 healthcare workers across the country have contracted the virus. Almost 1,700 have died from COVID-19. Unvaccinated healthcare workers put patients at risk, yet one in four hospital workers are still not vaccinated. Several hospitals and medical practices in Florida have responded by telling their employees that vaccinations are mandatory. But Governor DeSantis says he's against that policy. It's not something I support. Here's the problem that I think you're going to run into. Hospitals are having a tough time retaining staff. Uh, you have people that are going in different, because uh, they have these staffing agencies that come in. You literally could be a nurse at a hospital down the street working for the hospital. Staffing agency will hire you, pay you much more money, and you may end up, they have to contract to bring you right back there at higher prices. So you're seeing that. And look, the first group of people that were offered vaccine in Florida were nursing home residents and then staff of long-term care and doctors and nurses on the front lines. And um, the uptake on that was the doctors, I think it was like 80, 90% did it. The nurses, it wasn't as much. Um, and so, you know, I'm not supportive of mandates, but I think the the um, how that is implemented and how people respond to that, uh, I, I just think that they're gonna be, um, the, the, there will definitely be some 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 reaction to it. 
DeSantis has also shown his disregard for public health and safety by not only refusing to impose a mask mandate, but issuing an edict that forbids local schools from imposing any mandates of their own. He's being sued over that decision, but DeSantis claims the law is on his side. So the legislature passed a parent's bill of rights that I signed into law about a month and a half ago and laid down the law in the state of Florida is that parents have the fundamental right to raise their children, their health and well-being, uh, and that that has to be respected by the state at all levels of government. Uh, and so it's our belief that, that this should be a parent's choice. I think it flows directly from that bill, and I think we'll end up winning uh, to do. At the end of the day, as a parent, you know, I would like that choice. Um, I, for, particularly for young kids, many of these kids, by the way, have recovered from COVID. And so there's really no giant scientific justification to put it on at that, at that point if there, if there is to begin with. But uh, I think a lot of the parents would just want to have that ability. I know we, we, you know, they've had all this time to study. What are the harmful effects of putting a kindergartner in a mass for seven hours? Have they talked about the emotional, the academic, the physiological? Why isn't CDC studying that? They've had a lot of time to do it, uh, but yet you don't do it. And to act like somehow that this is just something that we shouldn't worry about, um, I don't think it's acceptable. So I think the fairest thing to do is just say, let parents make the decisions. I can tell you from having a whole school year under our belt, because you remember we were the only large state that had five days a week in person from the beginning of the school year for the whole year. We had uh, about 60 percent of school districts in Florida had mass requirements. About 40 percent did not. Most of the charter schools did not have those requirements and most private schools did not. Uh, there's no, actually, the, the, the no mask mandate counties had lower per capita cases. Uh, so certainly you can't uh, show any type of causal relationship there. And so we did that. I mean, we had the whole school year, and you can look at all these different jurisdictions and see, see how it was performed. So, so we believe that the Parents' Bill of Rights was a good bill to sign, and we believe because the legislature passed that, um, providing parents with this choice uh, flows directly from that. And we think we'll win. We also, though, I, I I think you will see, um, you know, we obviously have uh, backup plans if there's any type of hiccup along the way. DeSantis is right when he says there were fewer cases of COVID in schools last year, but that was before the Delta variant, which appears to be targeting children, the same children who are not old enough for the vaccine. So the State Board of Education rode to the rescue, kind of like Robin Hood in reverse. They've adopted a new rule that says any kid who faces peer pressure to mask up will qualify for a school voucher program so they can transfer to a school that has a more lackadaisical attitude about protecting its own students. Matt Mears is an attorney for the Board of Education. This rule specifically allows students who are subjected to COVID-19 harassment to transfer to a private school or another school in a district or another district altogether. This rule provides parents with an additional education and health option in cases when a student is subjected to COVID-19 related harassment. The rule specifically defines that uh, the COVID-19 related harassment to mean any threatening, discriminatory, insulting, or dehumanizing verbal, written, or physical conduct a student suffers in relation to or as a result of school district protocols for COVID-19, including face covering, the separation of students, and COVID-19 testing requirements. Now, that all applies where the conduct has the effect of substantially interfering with the student's educational performance, opportunities, or benefits. This rule applies whenever a student is harassed in connection 
with a school district's COVID-19 protocols. So a student who refuses to wear a mask is being protected by the state. Kirby Cormance, Tallahassee, told the Board of Education they're wrong, dead wrong. This rule is a moral outrage. Taking basic, proven health care precautions to protect our kids is not discriminatory bullying or harassment. Discrimination is when you hold one group of people to a different standard than another group. And bullying is when you are singling somebody out and harming them in some way. A universal mask mandate does neither of these things. It holds everyone to the same healthy standard. This is irresponsible and reckless language, and it's quite frankly reprehensible. State board members, I urge you to look beyond the false platitudes of parental rights and personal freedom that this rule espouses. It is, in fact, extremely one-sided. What about my constitutional parental rights to a safe public education for my child? Holdra Satuvar is a doctor and mother of two children in Pinellas County Schools. She told the board this expansion of the voucher system is just another excuse to take money from public schools. I'm concerned about the use of the word harassment. Medical protocol is not harassment. Public health is not harassment. And what this will allow is to further defund our public education system. And John from Jacksonville, who did not give his last name when he testified, says the board has the responsibility to protect all students, not just the ones who refuse to wear a mask. Article 9 of the Florida State Constitution guarantees to parents, we talk about parents' rights, Article 9 guarantees to parents a safe and secure public school. Now, this emergency has been declared because of COVID, but the proposed rule is to protect students from masks, which actually protects students from COVID. So will you be providing scholarships for parents who want to send their children to safe schools that require masks? They never answered John's question before voting, and the board voted unanimously to approve the new voucher rule. At the start of the meeting, Chairman Tom Grady said they had seven independent members. He was wrong about that one. What they really have are seven ass-kissers who are ready to do the governor's bidding. Not one voice was raised in protest by these sniveling supplicants who still insist that protecting students is their number one concern. Your calendar of events. Today is the final day of the sales tax holiday that allows back-to-school shoppers to avoid paying the sales tax on clothing, school supplies, and personal computers. The Education Estimating Conference meets at 8.30 to analyze the Education Finance Program. That's the main funding formula for public schools. The Eastern Florida State College Board of Trustees meets at 9 in Melbourne. The Board of Occupational Therapy meets at 9. The Tampa Bay Regional Planning Council meets at 10. The Florida Agency for Healthcare Administration holds a meeting at 11 about proposed Medicaid changes. The Board of Chiropractic Medicine meets at noon. The Florida Public Service Commission will hold two online hearings to take input from Tampa Electric Company customers about electric rate increases. One of them is at 2 o'clock, another is at 6 o'clock. Lieutenant Governor Jeanette Nunez and state lawmakers take part in an event to tout the passage of Every Child a Swimmer legislation. That's at 3 in West Palm Beach. And Representative Kelly Skidmore-Boca holds an online discussion about workforce development issues at 6. A Florida man who railed against the threats posed by coronavirus has died from complications from COVID-19. Former radio talk show host Dick Farrell was known for his over-the-top right-wing opinions. He was skeptical of Dr. Anthony Fauci, but friends say he changed his mind after contracting the virus. By then, it was too late. Finally today, a Florida man who found a large iguana in his toilet tried for several days to remove it, but in the end, he had to hire a professional trapper. Kurt Hilberth of Hollywood saw the spiny-tailed reptile splashing in the bowl, but every time he donned protective clothing and tried to pull it out, the lizard would swim back down the hole. 
On day three, he was able to grasp its hind legs and part of the tail, but the reptile managed to escape, leaving the still squirming, broken-off tail in Hilbert's hands. Trapper Harold Roden of Iguana Lifestyles was able to lure it out by placing a stick on the toilet so it could crawl up and out. That's it for today's episode of Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg in Tallahassee, inviting you to join us again tomorrow as we plumb the depths of Florida politics. Thank you.